Hello and welcome to the Global Voices podcast, your weekly dose of global news and local voices. I'm your host Amiya, speaking from Delhi, India. Each week, insiders from our community share what news matters more in their communities and how they build stories out of the local context. Today, we're going to hop on over to Central Asia and see how the turmoil in the world has been affecting the region. I'm joining uh, Jar Zardekhan, our Central Asia editor, whose name I hope I pronounced right. Hi, Jar. Welcome. Hello. Hello. You pronounced it quite well. Thank you. You did give me a tutorial. So, Jar, where are you right now? I'm in, in Almaty, in Kazakhstan. All right. That's great. So, um, Jar, um, you've been doing some coverage of uh, Central Asia that I found quite interesting recently because it brought to light or it sort of put a uh, focus on some consequences of recent global events that have, you know, come to pass for this region. Uh, and something that perhaps people don't really pay attention to or people have not noticed. So uh, the first big thing that happened was the U.S. withdrawal in Afghanistan and the Taliban taking over, which seems to have had some rather complicated consequences for neighboring states. Could you tell us something about that? Yes, actually, last year for Central Asia, general uh, was full of events and not all of them were very positive. And of course, one of the major uh, issues which concerns the region, all countries of the region, whether you have borders with Afghanistan or not, is the withdrawal of US and allied troops and the, the Taliban takeover. And of course, all the consequences uh, which would follow. Uh, there was always a fear that um, the conservative, times violent, uh, the Taliban rule would uh, directly uh, impact security and, and uh, also economic and social aspects of the region. And uh, when we look at the Taliban takeover, one of the important things is that we have uh, three Central Asian states which border Afghanistan, yeah, and this is Tajik, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan. They have extensive borders in uh, geographically, often in a very complicated terrains, and so uh, the major concern for these three countries was the border security, and of course, like anybody else at that time, the region was fearing uh, the uh, flood of refugees and also infiltration of uh, militants. And so this is one of the aspects, but uh, when we look back at Central Asia, since probably September 11, uh, fight against extremism, violent extremism, uh, religious militancy would be one of the major aspects of both foreign policy and domestic policy. And uh, to some extent, right, for justified or not, that would be different questions, but uh, extremism, terrorism, militancy would become one of the major alerts. There've been uh, regional arrangements related to that conferences uh, and uh, military strategic alliances would basically focus on these ideas. For example, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization also plays an important role on this aspect. So. Uh, can, you the, can you repeat the name of that organization? Uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Okay. Uh, the 
so one of the three uh, major aspects of this organization, this is, of course, a strategic alliance, which involves Russia, China, and a few Central Asian states. And so uh, we could say that uh, very often our foreign policy and domestic policy, to some extent, was uh, shaped by uh, potential infiltration of militancy, of radical uh, movements. And Afghanistan, historically, was always uh, the spot, or we could also say this was the place where, in rhetoric, in uh, political speeches, uh, would be showed as a potential source of that. Looking back historically from the Soviet period and uh, also the Taliban regime in, from the 90s on. So, of course, it often, uh, it often feels like um, Afghanistan has been some sort of a, a locus, a magnet for all kinds of, of trouble. Like historically speaking, there's always been people trying to take control of Afghanistan or trying to use Afghanistan to control something or someone else. I, the weird thing is that it's, it's a beautiful country. And of course, uh, this is the country we as a region would be very much hoping to remain stable and peaceful and successful and in developing. But uh, it did not happen. And the, even putting aside the historical aspect, uh, coming back from the, the, the imperial periods and so on, Afghanistan is also a key location, which is in the middle of many powers and many states. And whatever happens in Afghanistan concerns, obviously, Pakistan and India. It also concerns China, Central Asian states. And so uh, the ethnic composition of Afghanistan is also uh, diverse. And for example, when we think about uh, Tajikistan and Uzbekistan, they have an important uh, presence in Afghanistan. Tajiks make up almost a quarter of the Afghan population. So, uh, and the from the 90s on, uh, prior to the rise of Taliban, uh, we would have the civil war in Tajikistan, and uh, there have been uh, basically movements of people from one side to another, refugees, and so uh, in addition to the, the Taliban rule, uh, the presence of uh, certain groups or certain peoples who have some historical ethnic links with Central Asia would often showed as a source of potential threat to security. And uh, one important thing is that uh, the very often, like anywhere else, the fight or the war against terror in this context is often used as an excuse. So there are certain uh, organizations or groups which would be uh, showed as a potential threat or certain people would be accused of being affiliated with that. There have been cases it was justified, there have been cases it was probably not. But uh, after all those efforts and after all those years, human resources and uh, the fall of the Afghan government, 
is of course a very scary situation for Central Asia. So, what are some of the things that have been happening in the region recently after the Taliban has started to, you know, come out as with its beliefs? Uh, one of the uh, scary things, what we would say, is the the border conflicts, and uh, from that perspective, the new Taliban regime uh, is not very selective. It had clashes and conflicts with almost all neighbors, including Pakistan, including Iran. And of course, the Central Asian states of Pakistan and Tajikistan and Turkmenistan, they all had incidences uh, of the border clashes, shootings, and uh, sometimes it getting into the, the exchange of fire, sometimes the, the missile launches. So the border attacks were uh, one of the important threats to the region. This is a physical threat. They've been uh, also, of course, beyond uh, physical attacks, there have been lots of rhetoric and pressure from Taliban government. Taliban uh, the active Taliban government on uh, not interfering into domestic affairs of uh, Afghanistan, or for example, not letting certain people uh, escape through uh, Central Asian states. And we know that, for example, Tajikistan and Uzbekistan were important in uh, the former uh, governors or the, the military staff who would mm. be after the fall of the, the I mean, government as, an, as and, evacuation and routes, I would imagine. Evacuation routes, and uh, also it was the place of the interim settlement of people before the visa arrangement. So uh, both of these countries took uh, a lot of people, and obviously these people are not in, uh, in, in the list of uh, desired people. That's why they escaped, of Taliban. So there's been always pressure uh, not to let... Uh, from the perspective of the Taliban opposition, people and figures escaped. There have been also cases related to the embassies that they should be handed over to Taliban, uh, but it did not happen in many cases. Recognition of the Taliban rule. So there are certain Central Asian states which uh, are not willing to recognize. Most of them are not willing to recognize, but some of them, they cooperated, function. Uh, at least they have uh, negotiations and certain arrangements, but for example, some like Tajikistan, they don't do that. So the tensions are not only the security threat, but uh, also the political pressure and also the threats at uh, the political statements not to interfere or not to uh, host opposition figures or refugees from that perspective. And also there are uh, certain economic aspects as well related to trade, trade routes, uh, transit routes and so on. Many Have of them were disrupted. Uh, they've been affected uh, because, I mean, uh, the, the trade which was done uh, with, the, the, with Afghanistan and the previous regime, uh, they were disrupted. The border uh, checkpoints and passages fell under their rule. There have been additional, uh, for example, threats and also disruptions. And so uh, it affected that uh, 
of Central Asia from the perspective of the transit and also uh, many truck drivers and many people related to you know, transportation got stuck. So this become also in, sure. uh, an important aspect. Yes. So would it be safe to say that uh, the sort of collapse of the Afghanistan government and the takeover of the Taliban has actually made the situation much more um, tense and um, much more strained, both like in terms of literally, like you said, physically cross-border firing, uh, but also like diplomatically. And also I imagine it puts a strain on resources as well to have to deal with, <clears throat> you know, changed trade situations and people crossing the border and, and stuff like that. Yes, absolutely. And also one important aspect is that it also changed the foreign policy and political uh, attitude of these governments, because when the Taliban were not actively ruling in, in Afghanistan, of course, your concern related to certain aspects like uh, religious groups and or the Taliban was uh, in the list of the terrorist organizations and so on. But when they take over, now the governments, especially Central Asian states, neighboring or in the region, now they have to correct their rhetoric, now they have to correct their stance and attitudes because uh, obviously Taliban is a real power which took over Afghanistan. So uh, it's not in their interest to get into clashes and uh, to get into conflict with them. Obviously, Taliban is not a very diplomatic uh, <laughs> organization. So I imagine they often, it's quite pro yeah. provocative. <laughs> they, they're often threats. So they could say that if you do certain things, the Taliban has leverage. They have tools to threaten. Yeah. And uh, they could uh, cause tension. They could, for example, disrupt uh, trade route or disrupt, for yeah, example, yeah. Uh, security arrangements. So... Uh, this is something they have to count on. It's delicate. It's, it's a delicate situation. It, it, it is delicate. And even for countries like Kyrgyzstan or Kazakhstan, which do not have border with uh, Afghanistan, but whatever happens there, any instability would directly affect the whole region. So uh, Means, they also have to take that into account. Meanwhile, on the other side, <laughs> with the war in Ukraine, uh, I feel that Alicia, again, as you know, a bunch of ex-Soviet countries, uh, is in an awkward situation um, where they can't really afford to antagonize uh, Russia, even more so, I would imagine, given the fact that they have all this trouble on the East, but um, increasingly probably feeling pressure to distance themselves. How are they trying to navigate this? This is another delicate situation. It could also be connected with Afghanistan as well, because uh, from the beginning, officially and unofficially, uh, Russia would play an important role in security arrangements in Central Asia. So Russia has military bases in Kyrgyzstan, Russia has military bases in Tajikistan. This is the biggest, officially the biggest Russian military base outside. Okay. Uh, the country, of course, unofficially, and with, when we talk about Ukraine and other things, that makes it a little complicated. But so uh, the war in Ukraine uh, 
which extended this far, uh, changed a lot of Russian plans, and uh, is a country which struggles, is a country which uh, saw resistance at unexpected from their perspective level, the, uh, that problem, in order to solve that problem, Russia is slowly withdrawing uh, troops or paramilitary uh, oh. groups from outside. And also it takes over resources. The idea about Afghanistan uh, relate, Afghanistan related case was not just the idea that Russian presence would be there, but they also had plans to increase military presence, for example, modernize their uh, defense and uh, technology and uh, armament. But the current situation does not allow that to happen. And so one of the major aspects is that Russia is very much involved with Ukraine, uh, with the, the carrying out the aggressive war there. And just naturally, they don't have energy, they don't have uh, resources yeah, to, for example, strengthen, strengthen the, the Central Asian uh, defense arrangements. Uh, so oh, this is partially the, connected to the fact that Afghanistan uh, border, basically Taliban or other groups affiliated or not affiliated with the Taliban, uh, they started being more aggressive. We recently, we had a spike of cross-border attacks or exchange of fire, missile attacks. So we could also assume that Taliban knows and yeah. understands that okay, Russia doesn't have much, uh, would okay. not have much more effects. And uh, for example, countries like China, usually they take a more uh, moderate and low profile uh, stance from this perspective. So there's also this power change in actually the uh, disbalance, which Russia becomes less and less uh, involved in the region from the security perspective, and obviously economically as well. And uh, this creates further fears or further concerns. So just when we, when we move from the Afghanistan situation, uh, uh, the war would directly affect that as well. One Another important thing is that uh, Russia being under sanctions, economy uh, declining, and for example, trade and transport routes through Russia uh, or by Russia uh, being modified with the realities of the war. Uh, for many Central Asian states, and this is specifically concerns, for example, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, or Kyrgyzstan, is that the migrant workers, uh, and we talk about millions of people who worked and lived in Russia, uh, the decline of economy and sanctions would affect uh, their livelihood. And this involves, for example, uh, remittances sent from Russia. And these numbers are actually great. We, we could talk about different estimations and statistics that the remittances sent by 
uh, migrant workers could sometimes account to 40% of the GDP. So wow. almost half, it, it's a great number. So that directly affects the situation in the in Central Asian states. So I mean, 40% of the GDP is, is a great amount of number. And so uh, the security aspect or the, for example, the social economic aspect, it's far beyond just the strategic, the border control. Yeah. Uh, because this decline would, if, if there would be, for example, uh, an inflow of uh, migrant workers who would not find work, uh, they would come back uh, to, that would, of course, create uh, a very undesired or, for example, yeah. unexpected situation. Unemployment, for example. Yeah. The less money they send, it's also the economic balances would change. And one of the most important things is that the food prices are growing. Less money is going. The food prices, of course. I was course, just uh, going to say that prices are shooting up all over the world. So, like, all over the world. Make less money and you need more money, you know? Yes. And for countries whose economy is involved or trade uh, uh, directly involved with Russia, that affects much more than for countries, for example, who are who outside. A- so, uh, it is a situation which, uh, uh, whose, would, the effects of which would go far beyond just the strategic aspect of the world. Are we seeing any sort of movement away from Russia in these countries? The, the, the problem with the, the Russian war in Ukraine is not that something which happened uh, accidentally, uh, in, basically, in, within a couple of months, uh, the whole rhetoric, uh, the military rhetoric, uh, kind of expansionist and revisionist, uh, the idea is that, for example, uh, Ukraine, uh, in, from the Russian uh, regime's perspective, uh, the, the recognition of borders, the historic reinterpretation of history, whether it's a state or not, and this revisionist aspect is not only concerning Ukraine, but uh, something similar could be said and was said about many other states, for example, Kazakhstan, uh, where the Kazakhstan existed as a state, where the border the legitimate and so on. This was something which was said for uh, many state officials. And we're not talking about some radical writers or journalists. And we talk about the members of the parliament and so on, who could directly say that, uh, I don't know, the northern Kazakhstan, uh, was historically part of Russia and other things. And so the whole rhetoric which instigated the war or was the justification of the war, it's something which alerts many people in Central Asia. There are, of course, the real political aspects as well. When the the governments, they would not get into any uh, clashes or conflicts. It is not in their interest, but at the popular level, uh, more and more people, they understand uh, the situation. They also, there are lots of people, many people in the region, they support Ukraine uh, openly and actively. So uh, the from the perspective of Central Asia and overall, of course, the, it's never a nice thing to have a, a strong neighbor who acts aggressively towards another neighbor. And obviously, 
has this uh, militarist, expansionist, yeah. and uh, aggressive rhetoric. So that concerns a lot of people. And there are more and more pressures from the, the population uh, to restrain that. Of course, uh, as we said, that the tools and other things could be different, but for example, banning certain uh, symbols of the Russian aggression in Ukraine, for example, this all these letters said in some parts of Central Asia, uh, you could be fine. So the traffic police would stop you. That is, I, I feel like that's a pretty strong um, statement to make in, under the circumstances to say that, you know, this is now being seen as a symbol of, of the quote-unquote liberation of these poor supposed uh, repressed people by the Russian state. And if you turn around and say that, no, I'm banning that symbol, that's a pretty strong stand to take, I would feel. Yeah, so this is one of the, the aspects as well. And uh, for example, related to uh, Russian media presence, that the Russian TVs and, for example, uh, radio stations, uh, there are more concerns more and more concerns about limiting them, uh, the banning them, and so on, because the, the rhetoric is prevalent. Uh, it's basically, the propaganda is, 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 is prevalent in all aspects. So even, okay, basically, uh, the relatively non-political programs or channels would also be basically uh, spreading that ideas. So there are more and more concerns of that, of course, there are certain even radical demands that, for example, Kazakhstan should leave uh, the Collective Security Treaty Organization. And this is a, a security alliance in the region and also Eurasian Economic Union. And so, so there are different uh, demands and different reactions. Uh, the government obviously usually is more political. We could probably say parallel with how they react to the Taliban takeover. They try to avoid problems. And we totally understand that. We're not talking about great powers somewhere. We talk about certain landlocked countries uh, stuck between China and yeah, Russia. So, much, and yeah. yeah, and without basically access from outside. And so uh, the government is usually more uh, correct and they try to continue the traditional political readiness as if nothing much has happened. Of course, they talk about concerns and of the, of the war, but they try to, government try to behave as if nothing happened, yeah. as if Russia didn't do something terrible. Uh, also... but, but even, even within that, even uh, with, within governmental structures in different parts of Central Asia, there are certain people or certain stance, uh, but also noticeable. For example, uh, they're openly saying that they would uh, not, they would uh, support the territorial integrity of Ukraine. And uh, so that's uh, more or less unanimous stance within Central Asia. Yeah, and so they it would, comes would not, from, would it not recognize any these breakaway structures. Yeah, and, and because Donbass obviously and they're protecting their own borders in that sense. It is a response from there as well, right? Yes, and uh, of course, this creates a certain uh, reaction from Russia as well, and why they wouldn't do this and that. But 
that's a unanimous stance. And it's not that some uh, Central Asian states would accept and some not. Uh, so this is also what we have, that so even, even within our, our governmental political system, there are certain voices which you could interpret as pro-Ukrainian or anti-Russian aggression from that perspective. So basically, most of Central Asia is caught between a rock and a hard place uh, right now. And um, whatever security support they were receiving from Russia has greatly been lessened by the war in Ukraine. And with the Taliban's aggression also mounting on the other side, it's a bit of a complicated space. And of course, when you add to it what comes with a war, which is inflation and the sanctions on Russia, cutting out uh, remittances and stopping you know, migrant labor and, and sending them back home, it's going to put a strain on everyone's resources. Plus, like you said, there is enough concern for their own territorial integrity as also being former Soviet states in that sense, and plenty of popular support for Ukraine. So the governments are doing things like standing up for the territorial integrity of Ukraine and banning symbols, some of them. But... It's hard for them to take any sort of strong step in either direction because, like you said, you're a bunch of landlocked countries trapped between some very strong powers. <laughs> Did I get that right? Yes, absolutely, Amir. It's uh, exactly how, how, how it's going on. But uh, under these circumstances, we're all uh, looking at the world, how things go and how also dynamics and balance changes. We're also aware of the fact that things might change in the war and the effects, for example, of sanctions on Russia would be long lasting. And of course, as a region, uh, we try to look for alternative uh, arrangements, alternative trade routes, and for example, uh, using the, the Caspian corridor, the transit, for example, from China, uh, bypassing Russia to, to Southeast Europe, to Caucasus, the Black Sea. And so uh, we also, in, in the basically transition period, uh, how right. the war would end would affect us. And we also have to do something uh, ourselves as a region with other powers. Uh, see, see what comes out with all this being yes. shaken up, see what comes out when it calms down again. Well, Jar, thank you so much. I have learned so much in this episode. So I'm very grateful. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you, May. And that's all we have time for today. You've been listening to the Global Voices podcast, your weekly dose of global news and local voices. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and tell your friends about us. Global Voices is an international, multilingual, primarily volunteer community of writers, translators and academics, and human rights activists. Our multilingual newsroom team reports on people whose voices and experiences are rarely seen in the mainstream media. To find out more, go to globalvoices.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Global Voices. The music in this podcast is from the track Voyage by Nick Markton from our extended Global Voices community.